0: Would you please join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this time of year walking out of this season of light, recognizing that you are continuing to reveal yourself in greater measure to us as your people. And we pray that as you do that among us, that we would do that among those whom we love, where we live, where we work, and where we play. And Lord, that you would take these passages throughout this season and take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to you as Lord. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You ever prepared for a sales presentation or a test that you were going to take when you were younger? Perhaps a a huge athletic competition that you were preparing for, a concert where you had a solo, and you just blew it. You choked. You froze, right? Anybody ever had that experience? I know I have. Well, my friends, when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus, that seems to be the experience more often than not for many of us. And so maybe we we took a course or two and memorized an outline of some kind, but when the opportunity came, we didn't quite get it as well as we had hoped. And so we've just completed the season of joy. That season of hope, that season of love, that season of peace of Christmas time. And it was wonderful. And if there's one thing that I've heard about us at Christ Church from the outside, people say, What a joyful community we are. That's where our witness starts. The longer I live, the more I'm convinced that the most magnetic quality of the Christian is not the quality of our faith, but the joy that we have in loving the Lord and loving one another. It's a magnetic quality that draws people to the Lord through us. So we're getting there. And on Friday, we celebrated the Feast of the Epiphany. And this today we heard read at the first Sunday after Epiphany is the Baptism of Jesus passage, which you heard read. Where we see Jesus further revealed as Savior and Lord and his kingdom is being established. And we see that throughout the lectionary. But we're not going to do the lectionary this year. Because we live in a post-truth culture where the soil of the culture and being receptive to the gospel is increasingly hard. But I've noticed it's increasingly, because of the fractured and the division of our culture, people are open to hear the good news of Christ also but the reality is people are getting their ideas about who Jesus is in caricature from the internet from tv shows and variety of sources and none of them are accurate and what our culture honestly needs as you well know is another great awakening and so Archbishop Beach back in the fall has called the whole Anglican Church of North America because population-wise, uh, it hasn't been positive for us as a denomination. Yeah, we're planting churches, and that's hopeful, but many of our churches have really struggled to reach their communities. So he's saying, let's be intentional about the way we share the good news with people. And so Bishop Mark Engel has called us to be more intentionally evangelistic so starting today and throughout the evangelistic about the epiphany season we're going to learn how to share our faith winsomely confidently and not be that guy you know that guy that that rude christian that christian who who feels like he's got to win everybody for the gospel. Now, those people are becoming less and less. But you know what we're talking about. Because the reality is our friends and neighbors who don't know Christ, they look at our lives, and we are the only Bible that they read. Paul says, you are living letters known and to be read by all. And so we're going to equip you with lives that will exude the joy of the Lord, and yes, to be able to articulate the new good news of God's kingdom that's here and now. And our passages today give us a clue that even before we begin to share our faith, there's some things we need to know. So I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, I had I had uh, Sybil read the chapter 1 so you could get the overview but we're going to focus on verses 1 through 10 as well as the gospel I'll refer back to because I think there's three things that we must grasp before we even begin this journey the first one is that people need the Lord Uh, that seems obvious but let's look at what the scripture says about people verse 1 of chapter 2 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to the Ephesians. This is who they were, past tense. But this is all who everybody is without Christ. Paul begins with the spiritual death. It's an absolute statement. He doesn't mean that people are in danger of death. That they are dead men walking right now without Jesus Christ. He means they're absolutely dead. And so, moreover, Paul speaks of Gentiles in verse 1. He includes, when we get to verse 3, the Jews as well. He's not describing the people who, whose lives are out of control. He's not describing, you know, the decadent, drugged-out segment of society, but he's describing all of humanity from top to bottom. All of those with beautiful lawns. BMWs, everyone who seems to have their act together without Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins, no exceptions. My Old Testament professor, Paul House, was preaching on this passage when I was at seminary 20-something years ago. And he said, let's make sure we understand what being dead means. It's as if we were died in the Pacific Ocean thrown overboard with a weight around our neck, dragged to the bottom of the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, and buried six feet deep in the open floor, dead. (laughs) We're dead. Well, how how can that be? I mean, we know people aren't dead. They're, They're physically fit, robust, quick intellects, brimming with personality. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about their soul. And what really matters the most, because your soul, your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions, your spirit is going to last forever. And before God, without Christ, you're dead. They have no life. They're blind to the reality, demands, and glory of Christ, and they do not love him. They're blind and deaf to the Holy Spirit as a corpse is dead. They have no vocabulary for this. And so therefore, because of this, John Stott says we should not hesitate to reaffirm that a life without God, however physically fit and mentally alert the person may be, is a living death, and that those who live it are dead even while they are living. And Paul continues in verse 2 to explain why this is the case. Keep reading with me. Verse 2 and 3. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, we are each and every one of us outside of Christ, incredibly swayed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if we're dead like this, we are also children of wrath. Let's define that. Wrath is God's personal hostility in all that is rebellion against him and against his will. Jesus said this, John 3, verse 36, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Whoever does not believe will not see life because God's wrath remains upon him. See, we don't need to be forgiven merely for what we do. We need to be forgiven for who we are, dead men walking. Now we understand. People need the Lord. Secondly, God is real. We must understand that this is real. This is true. We heard God speak out loud for all the crowd to hear, This is my beloved Son in Matthew 3.17, with whom I am well pleased. It's important that we understand what we believe, and we are instruments of transformation from him, that all the biographies of Jesus are eyewitnesses' accounts or reports from multiple sources of eyewitness accounts. There's nothing that compares to the scripture in the ancient world in these biographies of eyewitness accounts. All other religions, I encourage you, check them out, read them. They talk about the leader's personal experience with some God. And therefore how if you follow these principles, you'll be right with the divine. And you start asking the questions that I encourage us to ask. Based on what? Who wrote this? Why? And it begins to crumble apart. It's inconsistent. But yet Luke writes in Acts 26. Because he observed Paul speaking... To Governor Festus, he says, Governor, King Agrippa there knows that Jesus didn't do this in a corner. In other words, he's not hiding. It's out in the open for everyone to see, and it's our job as his people to testify to this. John writes in chapter 21 of his biography, I write these things that you may believe. Christmas time, we spoke about John's letter to the early church. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have touched, we testify to you. As if he was going to present this in a court in the ancient world. My friends, this is real. Jesus Christ is the most documented person in all of human history, quite frankly. There's no close second. And yet, our world, everyone has an opinion about him. And most are not necessarily accurate. God isn't hiding. And it's through his people that he is known and through the power of his word and the Holy Spirit people see this. People need the Lord. God is real. The beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And third, what Ephesians teaches us is that we need to grasp fully the good news of Jesus. Verse four. The great gospel of the conjunctions. But God, Okay, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Present tense. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable graces, riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so here's the famous verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. We all forget chapter, verse 10, don't we? We all love 8 and 9. No, Paul's emphasis in 110, 2.10, 3.10 of Ephesians is that we're in the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom now. And we walk in this good news. It's the one of the things that separates Christianity from all other major religions. Okay, it's important because Christianity is fundamentally not a code of morality. Or an ethical code. Or good advice. It's first and foremost a proclamation and an announcement of good news. And brothers and sisters, you don't have to go to seminary to grasp it. You don't have to be in ministry to grasp it. You don't even need to have been a Christian for five minutes before you share this good news to someone else. All you need to understand is that 2,000 years ago an invasion took place. Heaven came to earth in the person of King Jesus and the future broke into the present in the kingdom that Jesus Christ inaugurated. And for 33 years, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to his father. He lived the life that we all failed to live and then he went to the cross and died the death that we all deserve to die. And on the cross, he was treated as if he had lived our sinful life so that through faith, We could be treated as if we had lived his perfect life. And after dying as a substitute in the place of sinners, three days later, he rose again from the day grave in triumph. So that everyone who turns from their rebellion and trusts and treasures Jesus will one day rise along with him in the new heaven and the new earth in resurrection. And they will join him forever as kings and queens of the universe. Oh, I could go on it will take us all eternity to plumb its depths and riches and the best thing of all it's offered to us by his sheer grace as a gift grasp that and if we understand that people need the lord it's real and it's good news that we grasp fully and completely if we understand that Then we can take it to the world, understanding that the first thing we need to get over it once we understand that is our fear. It's no secret that the main reason Christians don't share their their faith is because of the fear. The fear of, you know, being rejected, having awkward conversations, embarrassment. The fear of not being able to really answer someone's questions and what have you. The list goes on but here's the thing my friends if you wait for your fears to disappear before you share your faith you will never share your faith there's not one Sunday I don't have butterflies standing up before you not one and I know I botch it often there are some days I have gone into the bathroom and thrown up because of what I have to tell people. But the reality is, I know deep down in my core, thanks be to God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is good news for the Christian and the non. So I share it, imperfectly. And so like my old football coach used to say, we all have butterflies. Butterflies. We just got to make those butterflies fly in formation. <laughs> Isn't that great? Johnny Cox. He was awesome. All right. We got to make those, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we share our faith, we're going to make those butterflies fly in formation. And rely on the Holy Spirit to take a step of faith. Because you know what it's like, you know. You're asked a question about what you believe or something. You're at the dinner table at Thanksgiving. And you're like, you know, you bumble, you stumble a little bit. And you think, well, maybe some other time I'll share my faith. Or, you know, I'll just invite them to Christmas Eve or whatever it might be, which is a good thing. And this is for all of us. Students, pay attention. The sooner you learn this, the better it will be for you. But imagine if that person who shared their faith with you used the excuses that we have that we have not shared our faith. It's too inconvenient. This is not the time. Where would you be today if they didn't share their faith? What I've learned, honestly, over the years, as inconsistent as I've been, as imperfect as I've been, as lousy an evangelist as I as I've been, I'm not an evangelist. I don't have the gift. I don't. But I do it because it's one of the callings of a minister. You know, it is in the scripture. You know, do the work of evangelist. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Um, but what I've learned is it always goes better than I feared. Always. And so we're going to learn to face our fears as we go through this. I'm going to leave in the scripture notes little ideas for you to try. Because evangelism is simply telling someone about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Because it's all of the Lord anyway, right? Because of that, we just need to be faithful. And the engine of our witness is the lordship of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us as we join him at the work around us. Brothers and sisters, we can all do this. And what I'm going to do is give you tools for your tool belt because no conversations go the same way. With, there's different things to be different used at different times with people. So you can have meaningful conversations in those different situations so that you're not that guy. It's important. So let's begin to pray about this, okay? Because it really, 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 really starts with prayer. No great movement of the Holy Spirit in church history ever began without prayer. So we're going to be praying, asking the Lord, give us eyes to see where he is at work, that the Holy Spirit would give us courage to join him in that work and invite people into this kingdom of which we live, a kingdom of joy, hope, love, and great peace. You know, if it's the most loving thing we can do, quite frankly. If you were to sit across from a friend and you knew their sauv blanc glass of wine was poisoned, what would you do? You'd say, don't drink that! And they'd look at you, why? I paid 20 bucks for this glass. I've been really looking forward to this all day. Don't! It's, it's not, it's going to kill you. People need the Lord. It's going to kill them. It's the most loving thing we can do to reach out with them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And God willing, as we walk out of Epiphany and go into a season of Lent where we focus on the cross for six weeks, we'll see great fruit in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, for that's exactly what it is. And we pray that as we ponder these great truths throughout the season of Epiphany, you would use this mightily in each and every one of our lives, whether we're an introvert, whether an extrovert, whether we're an older saint with a walker and a cane and we're a young person who runs around, that each and every one of us have friends where we live and work, where we play, or family members who do not know this and not experiencing the love and the hope and the grace and the joy that we have in you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this series as a wonderful equipping tool for each and every one of us so that we would see a great awakening in our day like we haven't seen in generations, we pray, so that, Lord, we would continue to walk and see your hand move. As you've changed us, we would see you change others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.